eight different versions and all on the same page. So anyway, uh, John chapter 9. Uh, here's the story. The background is that uh, Jesus, in John 6, Jesus has fed the 5,000. He's called himself the bread of light. In John 8, um, Jesus has called himself the light of the world. We come to chapter 9, and it's unique because Jesus is simply walking along. And in that, in, as he's walking along, he spots somebody, and he, a blind man, and he heals him. Okay, so let's walk through it. It says, John chapter 9, and as he went along, let's talk about Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answers, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in this life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him that sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with his saliva. He put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, that's the, that's the nutshell of the story. A uh, couple of things. Um, the disciples asked this question about sin because this was a popular belief. The popular belief at the time was that if you were, if, if you were born with an infirmity, so you were crippled or you were blind or maybe you had a, 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 an arm that didn't, didn't uh, develop right, that it was because of sin and it was either because your parents sinned or your sin. And so, in other words, if the parents had done something wrong, it was, the idea was, oh, he was born blind because his parents had sinned. The Jews believed that you could sin before you were born. You could. Um, they take it back to the story of Jacob and Esau in the womb, where it says they were wrestling in the womb, and they actually believed that Esau was trying to kill Jacob in the womb. And so part of Esau's deal was that Esau, one of the reasons that, that he did what he did was because he sinned in the womb, and that's what they actually believed. So there was a belief, there was a Jewish belief that you could sin in the womb, and therefore this man was blind because he had sinned in the womb. So that was kind of the, the concept. So as they're walking along, these guys ask Jesus, which was it? And Jesus comes with a third thing. In, in essence, what Jesus is going to say is, he, it, it's just, he's born that way. He's born, we're born sinners, okay? And, and God can be manifest through that. But that's okay. So he says, God will be honored through his blindness. He said, God's going to take care of everything. He can work, he can work all of it out for his glory. And, he, and, and Jesus then takes, and, and it's unique because there's only two times Jesus does this. In, in the healing of the deaf man, he, he makes a little mud thing and spittle thing and puts on him. Here he makes literally the idea is a cake. He makes like a mud pie and puts it on his eyes. And if you think about it for a minute, it's significant because he's blind. Otherwise, he didn't know Jesus had done anything. Um, Jesus might be able to speak something, but, but, but again, someone who's blind is incredibly sensitive to touch. And so he would have known, there's something on my eyes. Jesus has put something, this man, he didn't know he's Jesus. This man has put something on my eyes. And he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. 
That becomes significant because the Pool of Siloam is a, is, is a big place in, in Jerusalem. It's kind of a key thing. It goes back to the history of when Jerusalem was built. Um, people believed all kinds of things about it. For um, the Feast of Tabernacles, it played a big role. They would actually take water from the pool and, and, and do a, a, a parade through the town for the, during the Feast of Tabernacles with water from that pool. So the man would have been very familiar with it. And so he said, okay, go to that pool and wash. Kind of like the story of Naaman and the leper where Jesus tells, or where um, the prophet says, go wash in the, in the Jordan River. And he debates him about it. Well, in this case, this guy doesn't debate. He just goes and washes, okay? Very simple, very straightforward story. But where the real story comes is what follows. Um, and notice what happens. It says, uh, we come to the, let's see, verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. And he himself insisted, I am the man. In other words, his neighbors see him and go, Hey, look, isn't that the blind guy? What's, what's the blind guy doing walking around? How, how, no, it's not him. Yeah, yeah, it is him. And he finally comes up and he goes, No, yeah, it's me, guys. How then were your eyes open, they demanded, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Some guy, they called him Jesus, made a mud pie, threw it on my eyes, told me to go wash in the water. That's what I did. Now I can see. Um, they had already observed the change. They noticed something different in this guy. And then notice what happened in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees, the man who had been born blind, who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. So now the Pharisees end up in a big debate. Okay, wait a minute. He did it on the Sabbath. That's a no-no. So no, no religious leader, rabbi, teacher would ever do that. This guy is, is, we shouldn't follow him because he broke the Sabbath is the idea. And um, the others were saying, well, how can a sinner do such things? I mean, this hasn't been done before. We don't, we, we don't know. <clears throat> Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. He said, they look at him and go, okay, so tell us what you think. And this man says he's a prophet. Now, in the Old Testament, one of the things that's said about the Messiah is he will give sight to the blind. So Jews knew that, that when the Messiah comes, that was something that was unique about the Messiah, that he would do that kind of thing. So when he does these things, all of a sudden now, this guy puts him in a prophet category. And he's talking to the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders. So notice what it goes on to say. But the Jews still do not believe that he had been born blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. So again, the Pharisees are in a conundrum here because they have to wrestle with who was Jesus. If he's a prophet, then the question is, why aren't you following him? If he's from God, the question is, why aren't you following him? And they got to figure out what to do with this guy who just healed somebody who had been born blind. And that was the key. 
So they're going to try to discredit it. So they bring in his parents, and they said, um, Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one who was born blind? How is it that he can now see? The parents now are in a conundrum, because notice what it says. We know he is our son, his parents answered. And we know that he was born blind. But how he can see, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. They basically look at him and go, look, it's not our deal. And notice what it says. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said he's of age asking. The parents realize, okay, if we say no, and you've got to realize in this culture, to be excluded from the, from the synagogue, that was your job, that was your business, that was your friends, that was in some places where you lived, everything was at stake. And the parents didn't want to risk that, so the parents look at him and go, I don't know, you know what, he's old enough, ask him. All we know is, that's our son, and yes, he was born that way, blind. And so it goes on. <clears throat> a second time, they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether or not he is a sinner, uh, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. He said, look, is he God? Is he a sinner? Is he this? Is he that? Is he, I, I don't know. Here's what I do know. I was blind, and now I see. And this is the key. All he does is tell him his story. He doesn't know anything about theology. He doesn't know anything about God yet. He doesn't know anything. All he knows is, this is my story. I was blind. Now I see. Deal with it. That's it. And notice what happens. <clears throat> um, he answered, I've told you already, you do not listen. Oh, um, then they asked him, uh, I was blind, now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I love this guy. Because now this guy starts to get ticked. Okay? Up until now, he was pretty gracious. But now, he starts, this guy starts to get under his skin. And notice what he says. He said, I've already told you, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Now, now he looks at the Pharisees, and he's going, you didn't get it? Oh, I know, you want to follow him. And notice what they said. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. They said, look, we follow Moses, we're following the law. I don't know who this guy is, and we don't know who this guy is, and we don't know where this guy's from. We don't know if we should follow this guy. And the man answered him. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God, now, now this guy, okay, and I'm going to show this to you in a second. It, this is fascinating to me because this is a beggar who was up against some of the smartest, most intelligent people in all of the planet at that time, the Pharisees. Okay, and, and you need to understand, a Pharisee at this point had memorized Matthew, many of them had memorized Matthew, to, or not Matthew, Genesis to Malachi. Memorized. 
They had memorized the, the teachings of the rabbi and the interpretations of the teachings of the rabbi. These were some of the smartest, most intellectual people on the planet. And this guy takes their logic and spins it around and, and uses their arguments against them. And he's just a beggar because all he does is he simply talks from common sense. And notice what he says. Here's what he says. Now, isn't that remarkable? You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to godly men who do his will. Nobody's ever heard of the eyes of a blind man, opening of the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. In other words, they looked at him and they, he looks at him and he goes, you know what? This has never happened, guys. And the only way this could happen is from God. And if this is the guy who did it, guys, this is a God thing. And he's from God. If I had time, we would, I would show you. In, in, I'll read it to you, and you can, if you can follow it, great. If you can't, don't worry about it. Don't get lost. When the Pharisees start their argument, okay, and... and, and in speech and debate, we have what we call a syllogism, all right? And what a syllogism is, is you take basically two facts and then make a third conclusion, okay? That's basically a syllogism. And when you follow this story, there are basically four syllogisms in this thing. One by the Pharisees, then the, one by the blind man, one by the Pharisees, one by the blind man. Here's how it goes. The Pharisees started out with this idea that all people from God keep the Sabbath. Jesus didn't keep the Sabbath. So he's not from God. That was their syllogism. They started with the idea that if you're from God, you keep the Sabbath. And since he didn't keep the Sabbath, he's not from God. That was their conclusion. The blind man counters it with this idea of only people from God can open the eyes of the blind. Jesus opened my eyes. Jesus must be from God. They turn it around and they would say it this way, only people from God can open eyes. This man is not from God. Therefore, in their conclusion, Jesus didn't open your eyes. That's what the Pharisees are arguing. Because in a minute, they're, 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 gonna, they're, gonna, they're, they're trying to argue that he, he didn't do it. And this man comes down to it and he says, his last argument with them is this, only people from God does God use. God used this man to open my eyes. He's from God. That's a beggar who's outsmarting these people and knows their response, to which they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. In other words, the second they realized they couldn't argue it anymore, their conclusion was, push him away. Get rid of him. Move on. And that's what he does. And so this guy now, you know, he, he looks at it from the perspective of no big deal to me. I, you know, I can see now. My life's, my life's changed drastically. And then notice what happened. The next verse says, then Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, Jesus comes to him now. Jesus seeks this guy out now. And he says... Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, the man asked. 
tell me so that I might believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one talking to you right now. Then the man said, Lord, I do believe. And he worships him. And Jesus says, for judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those that see will become blind. Jesus says, look, I have come so that people who are blind can see. And people who see are really blind. They just don't know it. And this is a spiritual thing now where he's talking about the idea that we were all born sinners. And as we put our faith and trust in Christ, we see. We see life differently. And our faith and trust is in Christ. But those who want to argue that they're not sinners, who think they see, are really blind. And then notice what happens then at the end of the story. Some Pharisees who are with him (coughs) heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? They got exactly what he was saying. And Jesus said, if you're blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you see, your guilt remains. In other words, Jesus looks at him and goes, the fact that you don't recognize you were ever blind, yes, you are. The fact that you think you can see without me, yes. In other words, the idea is that his His whole concept here is that not only does light save, but light also condemns. And if there's a heaven, you can talk all you want about no hell, but if there's a heaven, there's got to be a hell. The fact that Jesus saves us means he has to save us from something. So you have to have both. That's, That's the concept. And that's what he's sharing with these guys. And so he explains the lesson of the Pharisees is this. If you're going to reject light, then you're going to be in darkness. If you're going to reject him, there's no other option but be in darkness. Um, I think the big lesson for us, is, and this is a fascinating thing with this story for me. All this guy did was share what he knew. He simply told them what had happened. He didn't argue theology. Theology-wise, they kept blowing him away. But in the end, they're convicted. And they're not comfortable until they have pushed him away. Until they have put him in his place. They're not comfortable. Going back to what you were talking about. It's not about winning an argument. It's about telling my story. And what happens is often what you find is people get uncomfortable. And when they do, they only have two choices. To respond to your story or to put you down and push you away so they feel better about themselves. Those are the only two choices. So don't be surprised when you run into an encounter like that where you tell your story and all of a sudden somebody just, you know, well, you know, what about this and what about this? And they ask you like 8 million theological questions that you don't have an answer to. And you're going, then you walk away going, well, I wish I knew more. No, 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 no. Just tell your story. That's all this guy does. 
you just tell your story. This is what God, this is what God has done in my life. You and I can argue Bible all day long, but I can't argue your story. I can't argue your story. And by the way, this is what Jesus does with the woman at the well. When a woman at the well comes to Jesus, she wants to debate theology. She wants to talk about which, which mountain should we worship on. And Jesus looks at her and goes, honey, it's not about which mountain. It's about who you're following. And right now, you're not following God. I'm offering you living water. Forget about the mountain. And, and, and he just shares with her where she is. And, and, and I want to challenge you because I think sometimes we get intimidated or we feel bad or we feel like we should know more or we should de de de. Look, tell your story. Tell your story, let God do the rest. Because you don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing in their hearts. You don't know how the Holy Spirit is using that um, to poke a conscience or that kind of thing. And a lot of times, if you get that bold, brash kind of response, God's using that to hit a nerve. And you can just walk away going, you know what, God, it's God's, God's the one that's at work, not me. And um, one of the things you see with this guy is he starts out very timid, and the more they push, the bolder he gets. And that's kind of my deal. Somebody wants to, you know, I, 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 will, I will share the gospel with somebody. And the more they push, the bolder I'll get if I have to, to make a point. And, and Jesus, and this guy here was dealing with religious people. Like I say, he's dealing with some of the smartest of the smart people in the, uh, in the world at that time, you know. And use it. You know, um, I, I was in a, you know, I, I try to put myself in situations where I have opportunities to be a little different, you know. And so yesterday was, uh, I was judging a robotics competition at Western Iowa Tech, you know. Um, and they did the one thing that I hate when they do. My goal is to go all day as a judge, and then they find out I'm a pastor. You know, and they started by saying, um, tell us your name and what you do. <laughs> like, so, you know, right off the bat. Um, I'm a pastor, you know, and uh, and then it was it was like being back on the playground again. Everybody had gone around the room and told what they did. It's a robotics competition, and then they take all the new judges and they let the new judges pick who they want on their team, you know. Uh, and I was like, oh no, yeah, I'm a pastor. What are the odds of me getting picked last now? Because <laughs> I don't, I'm not a, you know, I mean, there was a computer professor there, there were people in IT and programmers, and you know, and I'm thinking, oh, great, and then it was funny because the first, it was like being in elementary again, you know, because you're hoping, oh, I hope I get picked first, you know, um, and <laughs> it really was, like, it was mind thing, and so I'm sitting there, and one of the girls, one of the gals, they were going around the thing, and uh, so in the first, I got picked in the first round, by the way, uh, first round draft pick, um, I got picked, and she was like, you know, and she said, uh, I want you, and, and I said, uh, I said, um, we, then we're, we're t- she said, no, she said, uh, I've, uh, I've worked in 4-H, and she said, I've seen you in 4-H, she said, I knew what kind of judge you'd be, you know, she said, I knew I wanted you, and I knew I wanted you on my team, you know, so I was like, okay, that was a good thing, but anyway, um, you know, people are watching, 
people are watching. And, you know, you may not think they're watching, but they're watching. And uh, don't be afraid to tell your story. Don't be afraid to, you know, and don't be intimidated when somebody, when somebody shuts you down. That's the response of somebody who the Holy Spirit's just poking hearts. And that's okay, because God's at work, and that's our goal. So, anyway, so I guess my prayer is the idea that, you know, tell your story. Tell your story. Um, let people know what God's done. And um, let God use it. That, that, that's, that's what it's there for. So anyway, let's pray. Lord, thanks for the time and help us. And